it is an honor uh, and a privilege just to be with you all tonight in Bible class, uh, 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 an evening where the Lord would share his thoughts with us. And it is such a, a privilege um, just to be alive and to be in the presence of the Lord. I just want to greet uh, my pastor, uh, his family, greet all of the ministers and officials at Faith Deliverance International Ministries, all you wonderful saints. And if there are any visitors on the line, a special welcome to you uh, tonight. Uh, I'm just going to open the scriptures and we'll go through number of passages and just see what the Lord would share with us. Praise the Lord. Um, there is a little bit of technical with the camera, but um, the technician is working on it. And uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> We're trusting it will be working soon. Um, but for, for now, let's just follow along. Um, sometimes all we need is just to hear a voice. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In the beginning was the word. We're going to go straight into the word. And tonight, uh, we're just going to look at um, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15, the, uh, the NLT version. That is 2 Samuel chapter 15, praise the Lord, we'll be reading from the NLT, praise God. All right, the Bible says, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur in Aram, I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron. But while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. 
He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others joined Absalom and the conspiracy gained momentum. Praise the Lord. We'll, we'll end right there for now. And let's, let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, O oh God, for the opportunity to read it, Lord Jesus, to hear it. I pray tonight that you would speak to us, Lord, that your voice would be evidently clear. That you would help us, Lord Jesus, to grow by the precious Lord Jesus, I pray you would open our New chapter in Samuel, and the writer records and tells us a very uh, tragic scenario that took place where Absalom's sister uh, was forced or was violated, uh, raped by one of her own half-brothers named Amnon. And Absalom, after hearing of what was done to his sister, became extremely angered as any good brother would become. And Absalom decided that because of what was done to his sister, he did not see any justice. He did not see um, any form of punishment come to the half-brother Amnon. And after he did what he did, he, he, he pretty much pushed her away and told her, get, get, get out of here. He told them, get rid of her. I don't want to see you. Um, and the Bible says that the, the, the hatred that he had for his sister or his half-sister Tamar was much greater than the love that he had for her before he violated her. And so with this um, scenario, with such a, 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 a gruesome act of wickedness that was done right in the king's um, palace, Absalom was nursing a spirit of hatred. The Bible tells us that for about two years, he was nursing this spirit. He was nursing his hatred. He, was, he said nothing. He didn't say any words to his brother Amnon. He held it in. He did not speak to his father. He, he kept in all the emotions that he was feeling. And so always dangerous when we are dealing with an offense 
the spirit of offense and not talking about it. Anytime we're offended and silent, it's grounds for destruction. So Absalom nursed that offense, nursed that hatred until that offense and that hatred gave birth to a conspiracy. Now Absalom conspired against his brother Amnon, his half-brother, conspired a plan of how he would take matters into his own hand. And so he plotted and had all of, uh, he plotted to have the king's sons come together for a feast, for a big party. He hosted the party and he even asked his father, King David, to come. King David said, you know, I, I can't, I can't attend this one. Uh, he said, but please, can you at least send Amnon? David said, why? Why do you want Amnon to come so bad? He said, I just, please, I want you to just send him. And he kept persisting until David said, okay, fine. And Amnon went to the event. And as he was there, Absalom gave his servants a command that once Amnon shows up, I want you to get him drunk. Give him whatever drink he wants. Make sure he has enough to drink. And when he is drunk, let me know because there's a plan. And so they kept filling up his cup and I can just see Amnon just enjoying. I can see the... Praise the Lord. We're just encountering some technical difficulties. But as we just continue while we work it out, Absalom plotted the death and the murder of his brother. Praise the Lord Jesus. He plotted the murder of his brother. And the Bible tells us that Amnon was put to death. After Amnon was put to death, Absalom fled for his life. Absalom, after fleeing, we see that there was a great tragedy in Israel. For King David, his daughter was raped. One of his sons now murdered and the other son a murderer and a fugitive. And so it's in this stage, it's in this scenario that we see Absalom living in a state of complete chaos. The Bible tells us that although his son, David's son Amnon had died, bless the Lord, he was comforted after a while. And he was longing to see his son Absalom again. And so Absalom was requested by one of the king's commanders named Joab. And Joab asked for Absalom to be brought back into the city of Jerusalem. And so when Absalom was brought back into Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The Bible lets us know that Absalom requested to be brought into the presence of his father. And when he was brought into the presence of David, the Bible tells us that he he bowed down 
and he made reverence and paid homage to his father. Praise the Lord. And so as he did this, we now come into chapter 15, the scripture that we just read. We see now Absalom is bringing uh, a, a new plan to pass. He's, the Bible tells us that he bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. The Bible tells us that when people went to go and meet with the king to have a, a certain matter dealt with, they had an issue with one of their neighbors or if there was some form of issue that arose with their employer uh, or a family member that they couldn't resolve, they would come to King David. But before they were able to get to the king, Absalom positioned himself at a place where he was able to meet them before they could meet the king. And so he sat nearby the gate of the city because that is where they would be brought in to meet with the king. And as he would meet these persons every morning, the Bible says, we see a, 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 a level of persistence and consistency every morning. Without having an alarm clock, he would wake up early and go down by the gates. And whenever they brought the case, the Bible says that Absalom would ask, where in Israel are you from? He was particularly interested to know where each person, which tribe did they come from? Because he had a plan to draw as many as he could. The Bible says that Absalom would tell them, you really, you really got a strong case. And he would tell everybody that. Doesn't matter if their case wasn't looking too good or if they were clearly the guilty party, or if they were the ones that caused the offense, he would tell them, your case looks good. And through flattery and deception, the Bible tells us that Absalom was able to steal the hearts of the people of Israel. In verse 6, it says that Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. That's an interesting statement because how can you steal somebody's heart? As we ponder that, how do you steal somebody's heart? As we look at that statement, it's interesting to examine that statement. Because what he did was he stole their loyalty from the king. So when the Bible says that he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel, it is simply telling us that what he did was he created a division between the people of Israel and their king. He created a division between the people and the man who God had appointed. And so by doing this, he created uh, an issue where now their loyalty had been divided and he had gained their trust. He had gained their heart. And he did all of this through deception. 
This is important for us to, to, to look at because the spirit of deception is so rampant in our day and time. The spirit of deception is a spirit that cloaks itself in light. It cloaks itself in righteousness and it appears to be something that it's not. And so the, 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 the intention of deception is to steal whatever God has planted in a believer's life. And so through this deception, he was able to gather people from every tribe. He made sure to say, what tribe are you from? Because I need to have enough followers in each tribe so that when I'm ready to ascend to the throne, and take over from my father and tear him down. I need to make sure that I have enough people to follow me. Because he understood I can't do this by myself. And so we see now a, a, a satanic plot to tear down the throne of his father. The one who gave birth to him. The one who was responsible for bringing him into this earth. The very source from which he came. We see that now he is looking to tear down that which has brought him here. And so it's a satanic spirit because this is the spirit that Satan, that Lucifer first possessed. Because the Bible tells us that it, it, before the foundation of the world, before this earth was created, that Lucifer, with such beauty, with such splendor, with such glory, who was to be living in the presence of God, the Bible told us that he had a plot to become like God. He said, I will ascend to his throne. So Lucifer had a desire to take from God what belongs only to him, to tear down the throne and to build up his own. And so it's this same spirit that now is in the heavens. And the Bible tells us that, that, that Lucifer was able, Satan was able to draw one third of the angels with him. I can just imagine him at the gates, daily raise, rising up. Because it wasn't just in one instant that he was able to deceive so many angels. But through a gradual act. Of deception, of falsehood, of lies. The Bible calls him the father of lies from the beginning. Through deception, he was able to draw aside one third of the angels of heaven. And the Bible says that now these angels acted in rebellion against God. The spirit of deception, it is so strong, it is so powerful 
that it will get you to work against yourself. It will get you to work against the one who created you. And so we see now that this same spirit that Satan exhibits is sitting on Absalom. Why is it important to look at the life of Absalom? Because Absalom, his name means father of peace. He should have been a man of peace. The intention was when he was birthed was for there to be peace in his life. There should be peace with his father. But through this deceptive, subtle spirit, he now is waging war against the man who loved him most. The same spirit, the God who created Satan, the God who gave him his name, who gave him his abilities, who gave him his beauty. Is the same God that he now turns against. And after turning against him in his heart, because that's where it always starts. It starts from within the heart. And as he turns against him in his heart, before he mounts that rebellion, he first looks to see who can I pull with me? He uses that beauty. He uses that deception. To see who can I gather to myself. If I were God. You wouldn't have to be subject to such conditions. If I were God. I would be doing things much differently. If I were God. I would give you more power. I would change your rank. If I were God. And so it's that that spirit of deception that's operating in Absalom. And so he's able to steal people's hearts, steal their loyalty, and cause them now to turn against the very king that fought for them year after year. The very king that went up against Goliath, who went up against the Philistines to bring Israel out of bondage. How deception can bring such disloyalty. And so we see now that this same spirit causes Absalom to plot a rebellion. Now, when we examine our lives, is there any defense in our lives against deception? How do we know when we're being deceived? Because deception will never announce itself. It will never announce its intentions. How do you know when you're being deceived? How do you know? Because the person that is deceiving, their main, in, their main uh, agenda is to remain undercover. That's how so many criminals get caught. Undercover cops, they have to play the part. They have to act like they're drug dealers. They have to act like they want these things. 
And so what we're seeing now is the, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, his disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How will we know that it will be the last days, that it will be the end time? And the first thing Jesus says before he talks about wars and diseases, before he talks about any form of earthquakes and natural disasters, he says, take heed that no man deceives you. Take heed that no man deceives you. He says, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many. So what initiates the end of times is a spirit of deception. How do we know when the deception is on the scene? Because if we're not walking in the spirit, that deception is so convincing that Jesus himself says, many will be deceived. Many, many good intentioned Christians, many people who are there, they, 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 they desire to follow the Lord. They desire to keep his commandments. Many will be deceived. He says, now take heed. I'm telling you now there's a responsibility on the believer He says, take heed. That means listen. That means pay attention. Let no man deceive you. So if this is the warning that Jesus gives us, how do we take heed that no one will deceive us or mislead us? One, we have to recognize that the enemy desires to deceive us. We have to recognize that deception is a possibility. We have to, our eyes have to be open for it. Because oftentimes people are not aware of what they're not looking for. If you're not looking for something, many times you're, you, you'll miss it. As a matter of fact, Jesus, at the age of 12, while his parents were heading back home from Jerusalem, from a feast, they didn't realize that Jesus was missing. Why? Because at that time, they weren't looking for him. At that time, they supposed he was with them, so they weren't. They weren't going around looking, where's Jesus? It wasn't until it got further in their journey when they they started to think about it. I haven't heard anything from Jesus. He usually would say something by now. He usually would have something to share, some form of wisdom. I can't, I don't hear his voice. Then they started to look and search. Are we looking out? Are we aware Because that spirit of deception, oftentimes it can be in our midst and we don't even realize it. 
How do you know when someone is trying to deceive you? Jesus tells them that many false prophets will arise. He tells them in Matthew chapter 7 that you will know them by their fruits. How do you know when a false prophet or a false teacher is deceiving you? One, Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. I remember an encounter that I had, and I'll share a personal testimony where uh, I had a friend and, you know, they were telling me, a couple of friends, they were telling me about this, this church that was um, such a powerful church. They had great services and great prayer meetings and they would have all night prayer meeting. And they spoke about this man who they called a prophet who he was so powerful. The Lord used him mightily to do works, uh, miracles. And, and, you know, he had this gifting that he can see things and, and, and prophesy and tell people things. And I said, you know what? Uh, okay, sure. I mean, it was some, some years back, I said, I'll, they said, you got to just come with us one time. So I said, okay, fine, I'll come. And I went. And during the service, I just saw some strange things that, uh, you know, I, I couldn't really put my finger on. It was just a, more of a feeling, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what to think. I saw that they raised offering maybe a, a few, maybe three or four times in the service. Um, I saw they had plenty bottles of water just lined up in the, at the altar and it wasn't for drinking. They were just wetting people at times with it. And it was just interesting things that I didn't really know what it was at the time. And so I went home and I was just talking to the Lord, praying. And you could see that some amazing things were happening there. It seemed like people were being touched by the spirit. People were being uh, affected in a positive way. And one day we were praying for a young lady. And the young lady was having some, some issues where... Um, it appeared there was some demonic influence and she was having a very difficult time and various spirits were, were manifesting through her. And um, at the time, those the same young men and friends said, maybe, you know what, uh, we should bring this young lady to so-and-so, the same pastor. And I thought to myself, I don't know about that one. Uh, and as I was pondering it, was thinking about it, I was driving and a text message came in. And uh, before the text, sorry, before the text came in, I literally heard the voice of God just tell me a scripture it was in the book of Matthew. I think it was in chapter seven. And I just, when I heard it, I went to read it. I opened it up and I read it in my, in my Bible. It says, by their fruits, you will know them. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? And the verse talked about how a good tree cannot bring forth corrupt fruit and a corrupt tree will not bring forth good fruit. And as, as I was reading that, a text message came in at the literal moment I was reading it. 
And it was literally someone sent a text message saying, by their fruits, you shall know them. Can a good tree bring forth corrupt fruit? And it was the exact same scripture. Someone just messaged me out the blue in a different section of the book of Matthew. And I knew, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I said, okay, I know that you're speaking to me, Lord. But what are you trying to tell me? And I, I, I did not know at the time. And later that night, the church I was attending at that time, I was praying at prayer meeting. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, it is so-and-so, the pastor. He is a false prophet. And I said, what? And I said, well, Lord, according to your word, there must be some fruits. There must be some signs. And so I went. and I, I was led to look at this person's website. And when I went on the website, I saw where the individual was making merchandise, selling a mantle that he said he prayed and fasted over for about either 40 or 70 days and was selling it for a couple hundred dollars. And right away, it's like the spirit brought to my mind. He is trying to sell the anointing. This is a a great danger, a great sin. And I thought immediately of of Simon the sorcerer who was trying to buy the anointing from Peter, trying to buy the Holy Spirit with money. And immediately within me, I realized, I said, this man is not of God. His fruits I now have seen. I told my friends, you know what? I don't think you should go back there. I gave the experience the time they were still being deceived. They were under a power of deception. So they continued to visit. And I just prayed and left it to God. And not too long after it came out that this man was having relations with another woman that was in his church. And she became pregnant. And he told her, if you don't get rid of that baby, God told me he's going to kill you. And so all of the fruits just came falling out on the table. The deception, though, was so strong because he was using different giftings to pull people away, to steal their hearts, to steal their loyalty from the truth that is in the word of God. He would use these abilities to draw men away. And so it's important for us to know how do we guard against that? What are the things that we should be looking for? How are we to be established in the faith? Because now is the age of misinformation. Now is the time where so much access to knowledge is is, is available. Where so many things are being sent at us. If it's not a WhatsApp video, it's a Facebook post. If it's not a Facebook post, we're on Instagram. If it's not that, it's someone calling us and say, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear this? We have so much access that if we want to study a topic, we no longer have to, 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 to open our Bibles and go and search through it. We can hit Google. Instead of speaking with our pastor or instead of you know, getting with some men of God and, and, and discussing it, we can choose who we want to hear from. We can heap to ourselves teachers. We can, we can log on to a service and hear a word. And it's sometimes it's in those 
in those uh, environments where the spirits of deception are waiting. They're waiting at the gates. These spirits are assigned to gates. That is why Absalom would wait at the gate because it's at the gate where the people would meet with the king. And the Bible says that the king's lips or the king's tongue carries knowledge. Where the word of a king is, there is power, the book of Proverbs tells us. So they would, he would wait at the gates. There are gates that these spirits are waiting at to get to us before we get to God. And while we're on the way looking to speak to God, looking to hear from God, there's another spirit that is assigned to meet us before we meet him. Before we can hear the word, we can hear the, 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 the truth imparted from his lips. There is a spirit of deception that is just hovering, that is cloaked as an angel of light, cloaked as a minister of light. Apostle Paul tells us that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He carries good news. He shows up and he says, while God was the voice of the Lord, God was walking to Adam. The serpent got there first and spoke to Eve and says, now Eve, I want to have a conversation with you. I, I hear the footsteps of God is coming. I need to get to you before he comes again. I need to steal what God has given to you. What did he say to you? What's your case? What's the issue that's happening in your life? I want to know. Because I, I, I can only steal what I have access to. I can only take what I can see. So, so don't hide the truth. Show it to me. Let me hear what you, what you were told. And as Eve begins to tell him and open up her heart to him and pour out. God said this, God said that. Now, that same spirit that was operating in Absalom says, listen, if I were God, as a matter of fact, I want to help you to become a God so that you don't even have to go to God. You don't have to come to me. If, 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 if you just look to that fruit right there, you yourself will become as God, knowing both good and evil. You see, the agenda of Satan always is for you to break the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and we should love him because he's one, because it's only him. We should love him with all we have. How can I get them to divide their loyalty from the king? How can I get them from showing up? And hearing a word. And so, so Satan is constantly looking and sending agents and sending misinformation and, and sending false doctrines to try and get you trapped. So he can steal what God has given to you. And so now we see that instead of holding on to the word. Eve lets it go. She, she takes, she bites 
of that spiritual fruit before she eats of the literal one. And so now life has been stolen. The serpent has stolen life from them because God told them the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The intention, the, man, the, 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 the mind of the king is to make things clear to you. That's why Jesus says, take heed. Let no one deceive you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And so it is important for us to keep and to guard the truth that God has given to us. Because there is an assault on truth. As we approach closer to the end, the Bible tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already working. That is why in 1 John 4, verse 1, the apostle John tells the believers, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Try the spirit. That means test. How do we test the spirit? We can't test them with our own human intellect. A lot of people say, you know what, my spirit just doesn't feel right. But it's not our spirit that can test. It's only through the spirit of God. Some people rely on their intuition. I just have a feeling. But oftentimes it's our feelings that lead us into destruction. I have a feeling that what this serpent is saying is true, you know. And the more I look and I think about it and I see the fruit, I have a feeling that he's, 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 he's telling me the truth. I have a feeling that, that what I'm being, that I'm being told is true. But John says, try the spirit. Test them to see if their spirit comes from God. And in order to test them, we must first know what does the spirit of God say? What does the spirit of the Lord speak about on that matter? Is it riches? What does the Lord speak about riches? The scripture tells us that through the deceitfulness of riches, many people would be drawn astray. So we have to understand what is the spirit of God? We can't trust ourselves to make that decision. And so as we learn to try the spirit, we have to be in a situation, be prepared to stand up for what we believe in. Because the spirit of deception will oftentimes take even those who are closest to us. It will take those who appeared to be Godly who appear to know the, the ways of God. And so we have to be on the lookout. This is why Jesus would constantly tell his disciples, watch and pray. Yes, 
prayer is of utmost importance. But if we're not watching while we're praying, if we're not discerning while we're praying, if we're not saying, God, what's happening here? God, should I take this? God, is this your will for me? God, it seems right. God, it seems good. What is this of you? We're hearing so many different things. It's, it's bombarding the airwaves. So much information. And one side is saying that's misinformation. The other side saying that's misinformation. One side saying that's conspiracy. Another side saying that's not true. What is true? Lord, teach me to watch. Teach me to keep my eyes open and to bring everything to you in prayer. I can't make it on my own. At the climax of the end of the age, the Bible tells us that before the, before the Lord's return, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I would love if we can, we can pull it up on the screen and just read a few verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, in the New Living Translation, Praise the Lord. It says, now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation or a letter supposedly from us. Don't believe them. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. That day cannot come until the, uh, uh, there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Before we put the next verse, sorry. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God. So this tells us that the, the spirit of the Antichrist is a spirit that is going to defy a belief in God. It is going to try to strip people of their faith in God. And so we have to be on the lookout for that. Whether it be through trying to bring people's minds to put their trust in something else. In, mat, in the hands of men in the hands of science, in the hands of, of medical advancements, there's going to be a spirit that will also enter a man who will defy everything that people call God, claiming that he himself is God. Next verse. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? Next verse. And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. 
For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding back, holding it back, steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. Stop right there. He will come to do counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles. There are counterfeit signs. There are counterfeit miracles. And this is something that we have to be aware of. Next verse. He will use every kind of deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Let's stop here for a moment. This spirit of deception will be so strong that the Bible says it would every kind of deception. Any form that you can think of, whether it be through a miracle, whether it be through technology, whether it be through uh, artificial intelligence, he will use every kind to fool those who are on their way to destruction. Why? Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. The truth is what is of utmost importance to us. That is the only thing that can safeguard us from the attack that is coming, from the spirit that is sweeping the world, is understanding the truth. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It is only through an understanding of who Jesus is, that we will be able to stand against the deception. And this this knowledge of Jesus has to become a living knowledge where we know him experientially, where it's not just a head knowledge. Hallelujah. It's not just what we've read about him or what we've heard about him or what pastor or another minister have said about him, but we have to know him for ourselves. It's that type of knowledge that will keep us loyal to him. That when an Absalom spirit rises up and seeks to flatter us and seeks to pull us aside, we can stand up and say, no, we can stand up and say, I'm not taking that. We can stand up and say, I'm not going to give into the schemes because I know what my Lord has said. Jesus says the thief comes for three purposes. And as I begin to wrap up, these three purposes are to steal, one, two, to kill, and three, to destroy. That's in John 10, verse 10. The purpose is once I have stolen what is precious from you, Once I've stolen, because there is a thief assigned to every word that God gives to you. There is a spirit that's assigned to strip you of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because because Satan understands that we must live by the word of God. 
So in order to strip you of life, I have to take away the source of life, which is the word. So I must now cause you to doubt that word. Did God say he's going to take care of you? I have to get you to doubt that. Did God say he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? I have to get you to doubt that. How do I steal it? I now plant a seed of unbelief. God, I don't know. Why is it taking so long? Why is he taking so long? He whispers, why? If he loves you, why wouldn't he just take care? Why wouldn't he just provide? Why would he allow them to take your job? Doesn't he know you need to eat and you need to have bills to pay? Doesn't he remember? He forgot about you. He, he comes to steal those words. Hallelujah. But that's where now the believer has to rise up and say, I'm going to hold fast the word of God. I'm going to hold tight to every word that comes out of God's mouth because only the word can keep me in this type of chaos. The word came from our pastor. Stay behind the cloud. Don't move. That means what we're doing is we're waiting for a word from God before we do anything. After he's stolen, the Bible says, then he can kill you. Because if life has removed itself, now I can kill you. And I'm not satisfied. I must destroy. I must make sure there is no hope for you to come back. I must make sure you're so overwhelmed with guilt. You're so overwhelmed with shame that you're going to hide from the presence of God. Hallelujah. But Jesus says, thank God. He responds after the thief. He says, I am come that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. I know Absalom has come to try and steal the hearts of Israel. I know he has come to try and, to try and capture the people and bring them now to serve him and then kill me and kill all those who follow me. But Jesus says now, I have come that you will have life. It's his intention that you would have eternal life. And that eternal life is already abiding in you if you've received the spirit of God. All things that you need are already within you. That's why you don't have to look for something to come. You have it already within you. So how do we hold on to this word? As we bring this now to a close. Let's just examine this thought or this question. How do we safeguard against deception? And how do we ensure that we are aligned with the one who gives us life? Jesus says, my sheep, they know my voice. And I know them and they follow me. So what's important for us to do is to, one, know his voice. How do I know the voice of God? Because whatever he says to me must align with what is written. Jesus 
was able to withstand the serpent with the written word. So what is written must align with what is spoken. Once I hear his voice, the Bible says, and I know them. The Lord must know us. And the way he knows us is when we keep his commandments. The next statement in that scripture in John chapter 10 is, I know them and they follow me. Are you following the teachings of God? Are you following the spirit of the Lord in every area of your life? Are you seeking to find out, am I aligning with the word of God? Is the commandment guiding me? The Bible says that the commandment is a lamp unto our feet. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So that is how I follow him. I follow him in the light, in the scriptures. And once we're following him, then when a spirit of deception comes, we've recognized that I'm, my focus is on Jesus. So if that spirit is contrary to what Jesus is doing, what Jesus has said, then I can no longer follow that. I must keep my eyes on Jesus. And one person that I want to just highlight and leave it with you to consider is in the same chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 15. There is a man who is only mentioned in a few verses, but this man is such an example of a true follower, of a true believer. And let's just look at a few verses in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we'll read down to, we'll look at verse 18, and we'll read a few verses. Uh, Sorry, let's start at 17. The king and all his people, and this is when David now, after Absalom has mounted this rebellion and has drawn so many people aside to take the throne. David has to flee. He has to leave the, he has to leave the throne, leave uh, the palace. And with the people who are faithful to him, they have to get out of Jerusalem because they're, they're coming so many people against them that it's not safe for them to remain there. So verse 17 says, the king and all his people set out on foot pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were 600 men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. Then the king turned and said to Ittai, a leader of the men from Gath, why are you coming with us? Go on back to King Absalom. For you are a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. This man, Ittai, was from Philistine. He was from the, from the land of Goliath, from one of the five cities that Goliath ruled over. He is, an, he is supposed to be an enemy of David. 
But this man left from Philistine recognized the anointing that was upon David, the spirit of God that was with David. And he decided, I want to follow this man because I see the glory of God on his life. And so we see he, here now, David is saying, you're, you're, you're a visitor here. You don't need to follow me. I don't even know where I'm going to end up. I'm, I just have, I have to run for my life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen. So I don't want to subject you to that type of lifestyle. I don't want you to lose your job. I don't want you to lose your wealth. I don't want you to lose your property. Just go back and serve King Absalom. You're a stranger here. He'll have no problems with you. But what? look at what this man Ittai says. Go. On, he, uh, David says in verse 20, you arrived only recently. And should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you. And may the Lord show you his unloving love and faithfulness, unfailing love and faithfulness. (laughs) 21. But Ittai said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my Lord, the king, goes. No matter what happens, whether it means life or death. Ittai is saying to David, I'm making a vow. I'm ready to die for this thing. I I don't care about what, what I'm losing. I don't care about my job that's left behind in Jerusalem. I don't care about my land, my property, any of my, my, my sheep, my whatever it was given to me. I don't care about that. All I want to do is follow you. Wherever you're going, I have to go. You are my king. You are the one that I'm serving. You're the one that carries the word of God. You're the one that, that has the, the the, the mantle of authority on you. It doesn't matter if I end up not knowing what's going to happen. I don't know how my bills are going to be paid. I don't know who's going to take care of my kids. I don't know what I'm going to do when the when they start knocking on my door, telling me that rent is up, telling me that my mortgage has just uh, 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 defaulted. I don't care. I don't know. And I don't care. All I'm focused on is I have to follow you no matter where you go, I am going with you. Jesus is saying, is there a believer like that? Is there somebody who's willing to follow him wherever it leads? These men were going out into the wilderness. They didn't have a hotel to check into. They had nothing but the power of a king. And Jesus is looking at us tonight and saying, my sheep know my voice. Are you an Ittai tonight? Maybe you weren't born in the church. Maybe you didn't grow up knowing this. Maybe you're new, could be recently baptized. Maybe it's been a few years, but you're like Ittai. To whom shall I go? Where else? I want to be with you. Make a vow to the Lord. I will go, Lord, wherever you send me. Because I know that you can't fail. Is there someone tonight who is willing to make that vow? Who is willing to say, I am going to be loyal. 
I will not allow what happened to all the other men in Israel, to all the men from all these other tribes who they grew up knowing that their hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord, who grew up knowing, who saw David anointed as king, who saw the Lord work with him, who saw him take down Goliath, who saw him go to fight for them and their families. I'm not going to be like that, that, those men. And allow my loyalty to be stolen by the spirit of deception. I don't care what anyone says. I know your voice, David. I'm going to follow you. Is there someone that can say, Jesus, I know your voice. And all I want to do is hear you. What do you say for my life next, God? I don't know what job is going to come next. I don't know what my career will be or what school to go to. But but Jesus, you just tell me whatever you say I'm going to do. I'm willing to bear my cross. I know, David, it looks like you don't know where you're going. They went out bare feet. Hallelujah. They went out not knowing where they were going. But is someone willing to say, Jesus, although you carried that cross, although you were crucified, Although you were beaten, you were mocked, you were bruised, you were put to shame. I'm willing to take that same, I'm willing to take that same faith. I'm willing to go through the same thing that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. I know that there is something greater than what I'm about to go through. I know that there is something better on the other side. Uh, The Bible says that they went up the Mount of Olives. Hallelujah. It's in that same Mount of Olives where Jesus went up and sat down and told his disciples, let no man deceive you. Hallelujah. Don't let anyone pull you away from my spirit, from my word. Hallelujah. In this last hour, I implore the church, don't let anyone, don't let any spirit, no vision, no dream, no prophet, don't let anything pull you away from the truth that is in Jesus Christ. What? Will our answer be when Jesus appears? Will he see servants that have been loyal, that have followed him each step of the way, despite what comes? Will we continue to follow him? Tonight, as I close, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. In the kingdom that God has prepared for you, there is everything that you need. Don't worry, keep following and let not deception pull you away from the truth. God bless you tonight.